course, you guys have been continuing in our look at uh, Grace Dangerous, kind of going through Scripture. And so today I had a few uh, different options of the few chapters there in the Second Corinthians uh, towards the end of that particular letter. And so I decided I was going to preach on chapter 9. Now, before we kind of dive into the Scripture, let me just say a couple things about this passage. It'll help kind of give it a bit of context, I think. So... Um, the church in Jerusalem at this time is struggling. They're struggling. They have uh, hunger. They have, there's a famine, as Pastor Scott talked about uh, last week. Uh, and they're just a church full of poverty. Uh, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And, and Corinth, I think maybe Samantha Spencer talked about this. So Cor uh, Corinth was a wealthy area full of successful people. And more than likely, of course, the church kind of reflected that. And so the church of Corinth uh, has pledged that they were going to give some money uh, to be generous with the church in Jerusalem, which is great. Unfortunately, it seems, and we don't know exactly why Paul gets this sense, but apparently the church in Corinth is now reconsidering and, and maybe doesn't want to be generous to the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul is very concerned about that. And so I'm going to read this. I'm going to use the message today because it does a nice job of, I think, of kind of uh, helping us to, to read underneath the words, if you will, to get a bit of the tone of Paul's almost desperation for the church in Corinth to follow through. So I invite you, it's a little bit lengthy, but I invite you to just hear these words from Paul. Here's what he says. If I wrote any more on this relief offering to the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board and ready to go. I've been bragging about you all through Macedonia province, telling them Achaia province has been ready to go on this since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready, as I said you would be. So my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found you weren't prepared, we'd all be pretty red-faced, you and us, for acting so sure of ourselves. So to make sure there will be no slip-up, I've recruited these brothers as an advance team to get you and your promised offering all ready before I get there. I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. And make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God can pour on blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy and reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seeds to the farmer that become bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. 
He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through generous offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they will respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we give you praise for the ways in which you have given to us extravagantly. And we pray that as we receive those things, Lord, that you would shape us and form us more and more like you. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I hope that as I kind of read this uh, passage from Paul, that you could really feel the tone of what he is trying to say. Uh, did you hear it? He, he, he kind of says with confidence, uh, I know you're on board and ready to go. And then there's almost this implied... Uh, Right? Right? Did you hear that? Uh, Paul is clearly somewhat nervous, as we will talk about, about whether or not they're actually going to come through. But Paul is desperate for the people in Corinth to give to the church in Jerusalem. He longs for them to do this, but he knows that it is critical, not just for the church in Jerusalem, but also for the people of Corinth. It is absolutely critical that they be shaped by this generosity, that they don't just give out of a, out of a this sense of obligation or guilt. And one of the things I really love about this particular part of the letter is the different ways that Paul kind of begins to take on trying to convince them of why they need to be generous. Let's start with something that, of course, is very important for Paul, which is theology, the theology of why they do this. Paul, again, he wants them to understand kind of why it is that we need to be generous. And so he begins, he, he says in verse 8, that it is God who provides them with blessings in abundance so that they can give abundantly. In other words, at the very foundation of why we give is because everything that we have, everything that we are, is a gift from God. You guys have heard this before. We, we give out of this because of the fact that everything is a gift. Now, 
I say that, and since we're all here on a Sunday morning, we all say, oh, that is so true, Jerry. Yeah, we know, right? It's a churchy kind of thing to say, right? Yes, everything is a gift. But the truth is, if we're honest, it's hard for us to actually believe it. And why is that? Well, I think it has a lot to do with housework. Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed that you do most of the housework around the house? Right? I mean, it's just kind of, you know, most of us feel like I, I do most of the housework. Now, why is it that you feel like you do most of the housework? You would say, well, because I do. Well, let's question that for a moment. I would suggest that the reason why so many of us feel like we do most of the housework, the work around the house, is because I see what I do, right? I, I see myself taking out the trash. There goes Jerry taking out the trash again. I see myself putting my plate away in the dishwasher. There goes Jerry. <laughs> I see, right, myself picking up someone's clothes, right? There I am picking up clothes again. I see all of those things. Why? Because I'm doing them, right? I, I can physically see that. Now, what do I not see as readily? Partly because I just don't actually see it because maybe I'm not home. I don't see everything else, probably about 90% of it. When Megan's here at the next service, I'll say 99% of it. Of the work that is actually done, of course, she does it. But I, I don't usually see it, right? I don't just, I don't actually, you know, I may not always see her doing it or I forget it or I just get home and it's already been done. And you know, when I see it is only when I have taken the time to stop and to be intentional with noticing all the different things that happened while I was at work. And when I begin to stop and notice that, all of a sudden I begin to realize, of course, that my eyes have been skewed. My vision has been skewed. It's not nearly as much I'm doing all these things as much as she's doing the vast majority. But if you don't create space to stop and think about it, you will continue to think, I do the bulk of the work around here. Well, I think it's almost the exact same when it comes to believing that God actually gave us everything. Why? Well, because we see what we do, right? I remember every morning, it was my ears that heard the doggone alarm go off that says, I got to get up and go to work. It was my legs that kind of were thrown out of the bed and then started getting ready to go to work. It was my brain, my back, right, that, that, that went there and that did all of the work. It was, it was my decision to open my eyes late at night when what I really wanted to do was go to bed. But I knew that if I wanted to be successful, right, you just got to keep going. You got you to keep working. So we see all of those things that I do so that when we begin to see everything that we have, guess what? We think, I did this. Rarely do we do what Paul suggests, which is to create space to remember something. It's just a small thing, but to remember it nonetheless, which is that I can't remember when it was that I formed my own ears. Now, when was it exactly that I molded my legs just like I needed them to be? I can't quite recall uh, when was the time that we were in the lab and I formed my own brain and I put in my own bag? Oh, that was a great day. I can't remember it, but it must have happened, right? 
No, it's almost comical to think like that. And yet it tends to be how most of us actually live because what we see is everything that we have done. And so what Paul is, in, is saying, what he's imploring them to do is to create space to stop and to remember that Everything you have is a gift from the Almighty. None of you formed your own ears or brains or backs or eyes or any of that. Amen? And so we have to begin always. The foundation of generosity is by beginning with remembering that everything we have, everything we are, is a gift. Now listen. Paul doesn't then say, okay, well, that's great. Now what God wants is he just wants it all back. Give it back to him. God's upset that you guys haven't been appreciative enough, and he just wants it all back. That's not what he says. Instead, actually, in verse 12, he tells them, look, here is what you do out of this great joy with the fact that God has given you everything, which is that you return a portion of that and you give it away as an act of thanksgiving. I acknowledge that everything I have is a gift from the Almighty. In fact, in verse 12, the actual word in Greek is the same word from which we get liturgy, right? Which is an act of worship. That's how we usually associate with that. In other words, this giving of our money, let's just say in this case, because it was certainly the case in the church of Corinth, that is actually an act of worship. Like when you pray, like when you sing, like when you read scripture, like when you attend worship, all of those things. Why is it an act of worship? Because it is tangibly saying, I realize by giving generously, not just giving a few bucks here and there for most of us, giving generously is this great sign that I believe Believe that God has given me everything that I have. It is this beautiful act of worship. Right? So Paul wants to be very clear that this is not just kind of giving away to some telethon or something else. No, no, no. This is about us worshiping God when we are a generous people. Now, what I find very intriguing about this particular passage is that Paul doesn't just talk theology. In fact, actually, he, he comes at it also from a different angle. It's actually an angle, uh, uh, it's a more practical and pragmatic angle. It's, a, it's an angle that many commentators actually, as I was reading uh, over the last couple of weeks, they don't really like because they feel like that's too pressure-filled and this isn't really spiritual. They don't, they don't really like it. But I like it because it's hyper practical, which is that, that, that he begins to realize, one of the things that Paul knows, and we realize this as you work with people, of course, is that sometimes you can't wait until you feel like something to actually start doing something, right? That's not actually how you get there. In other words, Paul would love it if we all just started theologically and said, well, the reason why I'm so generous, I understand now, is because God has given me everything. That would be great, but that's not usually how it happens. It's a little bit, I think, like working out. From what I've heard, it oftentimes takes about three months, right, for you to really begin to work out, for, for you to begin to see your body change in some way, right? Has anyone ever experienced that and can give an amen? Well, there's a couple. Maybe you shouldn't be quite so prideful. Right, so. But can you imagine those first three months? You know what? It's not like, yes, I'm so full of joy. I get to work out today. No, you can even lift up your arms usually, 
right? And so you're just, it's just drudgery and you're just doing it because you think at some point, it's an act of faith almost. At some point, something is going to happen. At some point, I'm going to begin to see change at some point. And I think what Paul understands is at this point, he just needs a church in Corinth to give. And if they can't start theologically, there's a hope that he has that as they begin to give, they will begin to experience the joy and the depth of what it means to be generous. And so how does Paul do this? He, 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 he does it by just adding kind of this, this, this immense amount of pressure. Did you hear it? You know, he says, I've been boasting about you all, about just how generous you are. In fact, the Macedonians, they were so impressed that they started being extravagantly generous. Gosh, sure would be embarrassing, humiliating, if I said all those things about you and you didn't pony up. You see what he's doing, right? He is applying a pretty remarkable amount of pressure on them. Now, I want you to take a moment to picture it. This is gonna be really hard for you to imagine. So I need you to just kind of really bear down like you're a five-year-old and you're trying to, and you, and you have such a great imagination. I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you are a church uh, full of wealthy and successful people. Are you there yet? Just want to make sure. It's going to be hard for some. Do you know what? About 90% of people who are wealthy and successful, I haven't done research, but I'm pretty sure this is true. They are also hyper competitive. They like to win. They like to win. They like to do well. They like to do better, right? And, and the thing is, right, if you know some of these folks, right, as you are, then all of a sudden what you realize, of course, it's not just about work that that happens. It kind of translates into lots of different things, doesn't it? So, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my girls uh, had an Irish dancing competition. They're uh, kind of getting into Irish dance. It's, it's, it's great. Um, it's super weird, but it's great nonetheless. And so, so we went to this thing. It was in Toledo, Ohio. I don't know if you've seen Toledo lately, but man, they are trying. They really are. And so it is, I, I, no, it's, they really are. They're, they're literally trying. It was fine. So it's just a subtle jab. So we went there for this. Now it's called a fish, right? You guys, you guys already knew that, right? The plural is fishana, if you're curious. And so uh, we went there and I mean, it's just, you go into this place, it's full of wigs and people jumping up and down. It's very odd. And so, so we were there and, and so we had the competition, right? And so uh, the way it works uh, is they have this big stage uh, and, then, and then there's two dancers at the same time who are dancing and there's, at our girl's age, there's just one judge. And, and so, you know, they're just kind of, and they can go anywhere, right? It's a little, it's a free form. It's kind of, it's a little bit odd. And so so anyways, there were, this is my 10-year-old daughter, Adelie. She was one of the dancers, and so she's dancing, and, you know, she's dancing. She's doing great. I mean, just a great job. Great job. And then there was the other girl. And I watched her as she kind of went over there, you know, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do the jig. I could, uh, but I won't. These pants will rip. And so I... Uh, and she kind of got over there and she got in front of the judge. And I'm, I'm telling you, at least through my eyes, like she was kind of elbowing Adelie out of the way. That did not sit well with me. Now, listen, I'm respectful. I was like, I'm not going after that 10-year-old girl. But, man, I was looking for her dad. I mean, I was not happy. I'm, really, I'm not, 
I really wanted to go and just be like, hey, how's that feel? You like that big guy? I mean, there was something. And then afterwards, right, after she had gotten first and the other girl hadn't, just there for fun. Uh, after that, I wanted to just take that medal and just be like, hey, what's up, Bose? You like that? I mean, how stupid is that? But for many of us, right, we are competitive. We want to win. We want to do the best. We want to be the best. And you see this, right? And so you see what Paul's doing, right? You know, the Macedonians are doing really well. It'd be pretty embarrassing if you didn't do at least as good as they did. And sure enough, Paul is trying to get them to begin to just simply start giving and then to begin to see in the midst of that generosity if perhaps then they didn't begin to say, oh, we now are starting to experience what this is about, to experience the joy. Now, why is there joy when you give, right? Is this, is this true or is this just what pastors say to try to get people to give more money? You know, I, you know and so let's think about this for a moment and and we see it actually because Paul begins to talk about it which is that when you begin to give generously you begin to be a part of other people's stories and their lives listen here Paul says it I think it's verses 12 and 13 or 13 and 14 Pastor Stan talks about this in his Scott and Stan video that that Paul begins to say, here's what's going to happen. You see, as you begin to give generously to the church in Jerusalem, they are going to receive it not just as money, but as a sign of God's grace. And as they receive the sign of God's grace, do you know what they're going to do? They are going to be thankful, and then they are going to begin to pray for you. And as they begin to pray for you, you are going to experience that as grace. And as you experience that as grace, you are going to want to be even more generous. It is this remarkable cycle that begins to happen when you decide, I'm going to stop living within the bounds of my own life. What do I want? What do I need? And I'm going to start giving generously. And when you begin to do that, you begin to be a part of the story and the life of anyone to whom you have given. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that today as I looked over the possible options is because it reminded me so clearly of the time that I and my family have been away. Now, I want to take just a few minutes. It's going to feel a little bit jarring at first, but I'm going to bring it back to this passage. But I, I do want to take a few minutes as I'll share why uh, that I want to share with you just quickly. We'll have more time. There's going to be another night sometime when we're going to get together because I know that you guys can't wait to see the 1,005 pictures that Megan took. So we're going to see all those things. We're not going to do all that today. Eight o'clock was asking for me to, and I said, no, no. But I do at least what I want to do. I just want you to feel a little bit about this trip. So we'll kind of go through it somewhat quickly. Let's just kind of look at some of these pictures here. Now, this is the Deck family. Remember the beard? Who misses the beard? <laughs> Great. I see you three. Great. Thank you. Um, 
I'm four. I missed that thing. So, so this is the beginning, you know, it's a Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, I think something like that. And there we are, you know, we were hoping to drive all the way up to Alaska, but because of the border, uh, we decided not to. We thought about, you know, you go fast enough, you might be able to get through, but we decided against that. So we, we drove to Seattle uh, and then we flew up from Seattle. Okay, there we are. That's kind of all of our stuff, the inside. Okay, let's see what's next. Uh, you can see, so one of the things, this is neither here nor there, uh, uh, and this is not a plug. I don't want anyone to get, buy, to get me a Starbucks mug because we go around, this is very important for us to get as many as we can. We, this is like an hour detour for us to get this mug. Um, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot going on in North Dakota. Um, so, uh, so, so we did that. That was very exciting. Uh, let's just kind of keep going through. There we go. You guys remember maybe I talked about Chico Hot Springs with a place in uh, Montana that I went to as a kid. We'll talk about that more some other time. We were able to stop there. We did a, a detour through Yellowstone National Park, which was fun. It was unplanned. I thought it was just a toll road, but it cost me 40 bucks, but that was fine. And so um, you can see here, Shaughnessy's uh, first fish. Can you, can you see it? Yeah, I can't either. And it's actually bigger than what it, what it really was. So, uh, but she did a great job. She was the only one. There's us with a bear. Look at that. I don't know why Shaughnessy is looking at me quite like that. It's kind of odd. But uh, you see that bear? I mean, that thing is massive. All right. Uh, let's keep going through. Uh, so this is a place where I used to work in Fairbanks. Um, and so that was a great day. Uh, it's so nice that we all have our hoodies on. Okay, we can keep going through. Uh, let's see here. This is the pipeline, the Alaska pipeline in uh, Fairbanks, um, which was a pretty, pretty remarkable thing there. That's a weird look I have. All right, let's keep going. One of the hikes that we did, uh, we did some great hikes. Our youngest, Liesl, six years old, she did a, a phenomenal job of kind of, of using those little legs. Uh, there's, that's at Denali, actually. Um, um, which was beautiful. The mountain was out. You can't see it there, um, but it was out. So that was fun to see. Uh, now they were starting to get tired in Denali. So you can see uh, uh, it was a long trip, actually. Uh, as we keep going through, there we are. This is in uh, Palmer, uh, Alaska, just kind of a beautiful little place there. The girl's looking happy. Uh, this is above Anchorage. Uh, it's really quite a remarkable hot, a hike. You're supposed to go all the way to the top. Uh, we did not make it. Um, I thought we were going to die. And um, uh, this has got an old church. It's now a cafe, but just seeing the girls there was kind of, uh, it was great. They would go and play. Now this one, I'll just take a brief moment. If you've seen Megan's Facebook, you know what this is, but this is in Seward and I'm holding this dog. Why am I holding the dog? Well, because the woman who was taking our picture, she was the only person around and we asked her if she'd take our picture. She said, yes, but I will only take it if you hold my dog. Um, <laughs> Super weird, but uh, we needed the picture taken, so we did it anyways. Uh, all right, here's a float plane trip. Man, we did not sleep well the night before. We thought for sure we were going to die, but we didn't. And, um, and this is just, we went up to the glacier. Our, our pilot's name was Wrangle, which is a great name for a pilot on a float plane, I thought. You don't want just like, you know, John or something. Uh, and uh, here are some of the glaciers. We can kind of keep going through this. Uh, there's the family all sitting back there looking good, having fun. Um, and then uh, that's just one more trip when we kind of landed, or one more picture, I should say. Uh, just a couple more. This is the glacier on a boat tour that we did. Um, and then we spent the last few days in, uh, in Seattle before we started heading back. We stopped off at Mount Rushmore, which was great. Uh, but then obviously our children were starting to get very tired. Uh, and so they began to fall asleep. Then they were all asleep. Then the driver was asleep. No, and then... Um, and then finally around Terre Haute, I believe, is where we took this kind of welcome back to Indiana. We were delighted to be back. Now, those are the photos. 
But what I also wanted you to see, because I always think it's fun to see things through the eyes of our kids. There were some ZPCers who, uh, who, gave us, uh, who gave our kids these travel journals, which were really great. They had them write some stuff out, but then they also had them um, um, do a picture every day. And so I have just a couple from each of them I want you to see. Uh, this is from Shaughnessy. Uh, this was a canoe trip that we did. Uh, you see that so long suckas. Uh, you know, she gets her competitiveness from her, from her mother. And so, uh, but now I like this. This is the Kenai Fjords tour. Uh, but I just like what she said up top. You know, whoa, holy cow, gas, beautiful. Just as kind of this image of, of what she saw and of, of, of how it impacted her, right? All right, here's Adelie's uh, couple. Uh, one, this is the bison that we saw in Yellowstone. So I thought she did a great job with that. And then obviously the, we did a bike, uh, uh, we did some bicycling and float plane on the same day. It was a big day. And so um, now here's Winnie, our eight-year-old. Um, that's, her, that's her on the plane. If you're wondering, that's, it says me. Uh, and so, and then that is a, it's a moose. It's not a mom mose, but it is a moose. Uh, uh, and we love that. And then the second picture that she has. Now, I thought this was sh- her and her sisters. This is actually Mount Rushmore. Um, I really thought it was her sisters with a beard. And, uh, but I don't know why the trees are on top of them, but that's fine. So, uh, so this is uh, Lisa. So again, you can obviously see that's the picture. That was her and Shaughnessy in the plane. But I want you to see, I just, I wanna, I'm impressed with her. That's her moose. But then this is the second time she does a moose. She's got the antlers. She's growing in her artistic skills, as you can see. Now, this is also Mount Rushmore, but they are, it's, it's kind of just the heads for three of them. I don't know why George Washington got a body and the rest of them didn't. And for some reason... Her sisters, and she and her sisters are on top of them. Uh, and I haven't figured out why. But it was all this. But I love just this being able to kind of see uh, how they experienced this through their eyes. Now, one of the things, though, that's not up there that I want you to hear is this. When we were on our way back, the 35th day, it was a Saturday, late afternoon, early evening. We were about 20 miles or so, probably west of Indianapolis. We're on I-70, you know, trying to get home, going, you know, I'm sure whatever the speed limit was, 80, 85. And, <laughs> and so as we were getting closer to being home, it was clear that this time was coming to an end. And so I, I turned down the, I turned down the, the radio or the, and, and I, I said, you know what, girls, before we, before we finish this trip up, I want you to know something. I want you to know how thankful I am to you for how great you were on this trip. I mean, five weeks is a long time to be together as a family. Did we have our squabbles? No question about it. But they did such a great job of just loving things, right? There was no, oh, geez, it's just another grizzly bear. No, it was like, whoa, a grizzly. I mean, they were so excited. It was amazing. And I wanted them to know just how thankful I was to them. And after saying that, you know, and I got a little bit teary-eyed, as as you guys know I'm apt to do, and I was going to turn the music back up again, and and, and one of our kids in the back said, well, wait, Daddy, I want to say something. Okay. And so she said, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, you know, for filling out the application and for, for this. And I thought, okay, well, that's very kind. And, 
and then before I turned it up again, then somebody else said, well, I want to say something. And, and, and she wanted to say thank you for something else. And, and then somebody else wanted to say, well, thank you. We want to thank you know, this thing. And, and we're thankful for this. And, and before you know it, right, we're, we're all we're, we're driving. We're barreling down 70. We're, we're all saying thank you for something. And we're all just weeping for some reason. I mean, if a policeman had turned, pulled us over, it would have been so weird. <laughs> but what I want you to know is this. That all of those thank yous were rooted in the gratitude that we had had throughout the trip for you. Almost every time that we prayed, whether it was just beginning a long drive on a particular day, whether it was gathering around a table and having a meal, almost every single time, I want you to know that we stopped and we thanked God for this opportunity and we thank the people of ZPC for this chance to be on this trip. And every time that we did that, what we were reminded of was the simple fact that we did not travel alone, that you were with us the whole time. Why? Because you had decided to be generous. And because of that generosity, you are now a part of our journey. When I got back here, the staff, as I knew they would do something, they decided it'd be funny to put up a bunch of different pictures in my office. And this is one of those pictures that they put up here. You can see this. This is Mount Rushmore, but with the staff and, uh, 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 and, and others. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it was weird. It's still weird. And, but what I want you to know is that what they didn't realize is that this was truer than what they could have imagined. Because the truth is, you were there every step of the way. You were never far from our thoughts. Why? Because of the fact that you had been generous. And because of the fact that you were generous, we were thankful. We received it as grace. And when we were thankful, we want you to know that we were praying for you, which meant that we continued to be together. When the church in Corinth gave to the church in Jerusalem and they gave thanks, there was grace that then returned to the Corinthians. We can decide whether or not we want to live in our own little box or we can begin to keep giving and being generous and when we do so we are a part of so many other stories we can decide whether or not we want to live with that generosity or we can hold everything tight out of our own fears and anxieties Now, I realize that some of you may be saying, whoa, 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 Jerry, this, surely Paul was not thinking about being generous and allowing a pastor and his family to go on sabbatical. And in many ways, of course, you're right. But here is what I also want you to know. PKs, pastors, kids, are infamous for growing up in the church and when they leave, never returning, never wanting to have anything to do with God or with the church. But what I want you to hear is that because of your generosity, you have continued for my children, for your covenant children, 
in the sense that the God we serve is a generous God. That the God that we serve is one who gives extravagantly. Every time that they were thanking God for the people of this congregation, their understanding of who God was and of the abundant grace that our God has began to be shaped. And as they continue to get older, they will continue to be able to see more and more of this. And who knows what that in the years ahead, as they've received this generosity, that they won't then begin to be kind to others, that they won't begin to also be generous, that they might then be able to be thankful for the ways in which God has given to them. What I want you to know is this. You could have bought another dress. You could have bought another pair of shoes. You could have bought another pair of jeans. You could have bought 500 more square foot of house. You could have gone on one more vacation because six simply is not enough in one year. You could have done any of those things. But so many of you who decided we are going to keep giving, we are going to be generous every time you do so, you are being being a part of someone else's story. You are joining into the kingdom of God. You've been away from me too long. Amen? And you can either decide that all we want to do is make sure we have one more thing or we can enter into even more stories and see God change this world in ways beyond what we ever could have imagined. And it isn't just my family, of course. This church has done amazing things. Just in the last few weeks, they've given to uh, people to help out in Afghanistan. They've given to people in Haiti in order to help them come out of the destruction that has occurred there. Every time... Every time that we give, we are able to pay. Right now, we have inquirers who are learning about God in middle school. We have our younger children who are learning about the grace and the love of Jesus Christ because of the generosity of you all. When people come on Thursdays and Fridays, they are able to be reminded of the fact because of your generosity that God, that they are loved, that God has not forgotten them, and that they can receive food. This particular space in the chapel over the last uh, several weeks, a few times, has been able to be a place where people could come and grieve their lost ones and yet also remember the hope of Jesus Christ. And you are a part of that every time that we are a generous people. We are able to join in into this remarkable story. We get to be a part of the grace of God. And in a society that is absolutely seething and growing in anxiety and fear and hatred, it seems, we can take a stand against that every time we say, no, we are going to keep giving as a symbol, as a reflection of our generous God. When you do so, there is no way that you can begin to see the effect of your generosity and not begin to feel the joy to which Paul speaks. The joy of knowing that because of the ways in which you give as a reflection of what God has given you, God's grace is able to go out throughout this place and throughout the world. God loves a cheerful giver. 
May we be generous that others may experience that love and joy. Amen? Let's pray. God, you give to us extravagantly. Sometimes we are fully aware of it, sometimes less so. But it doesn't change your love and your generosity to us. So I pray that you would help us, God, to continue to be a people who give generously that we might experience the joy of participating in the story of others and your story, the impact that you make on this world. May we feel that joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.